Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. We're in a series where we're taught that we've titled Breathe Easy. And uh, the goal of this series, or the point of this series, is to help us to live more sustainable lives. Let me ask you a question How sustainable is your life? Can you keep going like you're going? Or are you going to end up sick? Or are you going to end up breaking down? Or are you going to end up doing something dumb? Is your life sustainable? Is your life healthy? So the goal of this series is to help us make better decisions, to help us make wiser decisions, to make us aware of certain things so that we can breathe in our lives, right? Not just exist, but actually stop and be able to breathe and enjoy life and have a life that is not a life that you endure, but a life that you actually enjoy. So we've talked about a few areas. The first week, we spoke about your social life. We said that the people that you hang out around with not only influence your life, but they also influence your destiny. The second week, we spoke about our mind. We said that our mind matters because what we think is what we feel and what we feel is what we act. The third week, we spoke about our physical health. <coughs> it's of little good if you uh, are educated. It's, it's of little good if you accomplish things, but your health is poor. If you can't get up in the mornings, if you can't concentrate, if you can't do those things you need to do. And last week, we spoke about the most important area that just has the greatest impact of them all, and that is your spiritual life. Today, I want to talk about your inner life. I want to talk about what's going on inside of you. And today, I've titled today's message, Going from Chaos to Calm. How do we go from chaos to calm? Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll jump into that message. Heavenly Father, we thank you this wonderful morning for your presence. Thank you for being here, Lord. Thank you that, Lord, you meet us. And Father, you love us. Every single one of us in this room is perfectly, completely, and totally loved by you, Lord. I pray that as we go into your word, that, Lord, that we would not just not be informed, but that we would also be transformed, that what we learn would not just feel good in our head or in our heart, but that it would apply good in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, uh, a few years back, I, I went to Mexico when I, and, uh, when, I, when I was 18, I went to Mexico and uh, I was supposed to go for two weeks and I ended up staying four months um, and I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to come back. And, and the worst part, and, and, and I'm, I'm a, I feel bad saying this, but I think the worst part is that Lorena and I were all already dating and everybody was telling her like, no, he's going to stay over there. He's not coming back. And she was hanging on praying that, that I would come back, you know, because she didn't want to lose this hunk. So she, her prayers brought me back. But um, I tell you that story because 
I remember when I went to Mexico, um, the, the pace of life in Mexico felt a lot easier. It just felt a lot smoother. It felt like the day was longer and the weeks were longer. The money was shorter, but the days were longer. You know? And I remember going over there and wait, we would wake up at five in the morning to go to work because eventually after a couple of weeks, the money ran out, so I had to start working. Um, I would wake up at five in the morning to go to, to go to work and we would go to sleep at 11, almost midnight. And the day just felt so long. It felt like you had time for stuff, which I think it's all the opposite of here, right? I hear people say all the time, we're almost done with the year. Where did summer go? I was talking to Manolo yesterday. I was like, where did the summer go? It's like, I didn't feel like this summer was much of a summer. Right? And it seems like life or time just passes by faster and faster and faster. And our pace of life is so fast. We're running from one commitment to another. We're trying to multitask, right? That, that's the cool thing to do, to multitask. And listen, there are times in our life when we are going to have to go through a fast pace, when we are, when our schedules are not going to be as sustainable. I always tell people with newborns, I go, this is a season. This is a season. Like, like I know you're not sleeping much. I know you can't go out much. I know everything's a lot of work, but it's a season. But the problem for many of us is that unlike parents with newborns, it's not a season. It's become our way of life. We're just running from one place to another. We're hurried. We're, we're, we're overcommitted. And here's the problem with this. The problem with this is that it's creating exhaustion in you. It's creating stress in you. Some of you are burnt out and you don't even know it. And, and you may say, well, especially if you're a man, you may say, well, that's the price to pay. Well, let me tell you that there's a higher price that we're paying. Because exhaustion, burnout, and stress will kill not only your health, but likely your relationships. I think that the number one reason people are not as committed to the Lord as they should be is that they don't have time. Right? I told you last week, I just don't buy it when people say, I don't have time to read my Bible. And I understand what they're saying. They're overcommitted. They got too much going on. And it's so dangerous for us to live in this way. If you were to picture a rubber band, right, which we've kind of talked about it a lot during the series. If you were to picture a rubber band, a rubber band is able to stretch. But if you keep that rubber band stretched at its max, it eventually loses its elasticity and it loses its purpose. What good is a rubber band that doesn't stretch? What good is, are you... If you are always stressed, if you are always running on empty, if you are always on your last fumes, and if you are unhealthy, what good are you to your kids? What good are you to your company? What good are you to your spouse? And the answer is very little good. So instead of drilling you, because I'm in that same boat, right? I'm in that same boat. Um, instead of drilling you, I want to talk about how do you go from this chaos to a life that's more sustainable? How do you go from this chaos to a life that is more calm, a life of tranquility? Because let me tell you, I know some of you guys think, no, that's impossible. Not here in America. We might have to move to Mexico or another country, but not here in America. No, I think that Jesus is so great that he also impacts this area of our life. So how do we go from that chaos? Well, we're going to look at the prophet Elijah. 
In 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18, uh, it's quite a long story. We're going to begin today. We're going to finish this topic next Sunday, so don't stay home next Sunday. Uh, But I want to read the story because I want you to be familiar with it. Don't check out. Look at what's going on, and then we'll break it down as we go along. 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 18. It should be uh, up here in the screen. We didn't put it in your bulletins because it was going to take the whole, the whole thing. But you can read along with me up here. Look at what verse 1 says. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Who's Ahab and who's Jezebel? Well, they're kings. And they're really bad kings. They're really pagan kings, right? Elijah is the prophet. And so he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. We'll, We'll talk about that in just a minute. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me. Notice that the gods, not God. She's not calling on the name of the Lord. She's not swearing by the name of the Lord. She's swearing by the name of false gods. She says, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you kill them. Who's them? The prophets of Baal. Again, we'll talk about that. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone. Notice this. He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might what? Wait a minute. A man of God? If you know who Elijah was, it's kind of hard to read this that he would feel this way. That's what I love about God's word, that it doesn't hide our flaws. It doesn't hide our weaknesses. And not only did he wish to die, look at what he prayed. He says, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and what? Eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread. Look at this. Look how awesome God is. There was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of of water. So God knows he needs some food. And he doesn't send him like some cold sandwich. He gives him warm food. That's how good God is into our lives. That when we're at our lowest, he's at his best, right? He says, uh, verse 6, once again, as he looked around and there beside his head was, a, was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be, will, uh, will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength, look at this, to travel for how long? 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, look at it, look at this. I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. 
Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by in a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. Look at this. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle what? I mean, I really wish you caught that. Elijah's going, his life is a, is a disaster, is a chaos. I mean, to the point where he wants to die. Right? And what does God do? God takes care of his physical needs. But then when God is going to appear to him, he doesn't appear to him with strong winds, with an earthquake, or with fire. How does God appear to him? With a whisper. What is, what, what, you see what God is trying to tell him and us too? See, some of us, we're trying to encounter God in some big, mighty, powerful thing when what God might want to do is for you to be still enough to hear him. For you to calm your routine down enough where you could sense him. Let's continue reading. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously uh, served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. So that's his complaint, right? His complaint is like, everybody else is horrible. I'm the only good one. And now they're trying to come after me. Can you identify? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Verse 16, verse 15. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazaziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to, to be king of Israel. Uh, uh, to be king of Israel and anoint, and anoint Elijah, son, son of Jehoshaphat, from the town of Abel Mehola to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Jezahel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elijah. Yet, look at this verse, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. How do we go from chaos to tranquility? How do we go from exhaustion to tranquility? Because that's where Elijah was. Well, the first thing, and it's a big one, it's going to shock you. Ready for this? You can fill this out in your outlines. To go from exhaustion to tranquility, to go from chaos to calm, you first have to admit that you're exhausted. You have to admit that you're exhausted, right? When you go to any recovery group, what is the first step, CL? What is the first step towards recovery? To admit that something is wrong. See, most of us cannot heal, cannot go from exhaustion to calm because we're not willing to admit that we're tired, that we're burnt out, that things are not well. In fact, I want you to do something. I want you to look to the person next to you and tell them, I'm tired. Like, I'm really tired. I'm not just sleepy. I'm tired. See, Here's the thing. When people ask you, hey, how you doing? How's it been? What is it that we say? Oh, we're good. Are we always good? You know what I started doing? I started being honest with people. 
And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed their faces. Because when they say, hey, how you been? And when I tell them, well, you know, it hasn't been that good. They get a little shocked because the answer that everyone expects is what? Everything is good. You know why we won't admit that we're exhausted? Because like Elijah, if you were to read the chapter or even the two chapters before, you would see Elijah go through some great victories. You would see Elijah experience the power of God. You would see Elijah pray to God and God answer his prayers at the moment. If you were to go back to chapters, you would see the wonderful things happening in Elijah's life. But that's not the story in chapter 19. That's not where Elijah is. Elijah finds himself in a very different place from chapters 18 and 17. And there's two things that you need to notice. The first thing is that after high moments, the enemy will hit you the hardest. After you say, you know what, we're going to stop living in sin and we're going to get married, the enemy's going to hit you the hardest. After you say, I'm going to stop stealing God's money and I'm going to start tithing, the enemy's going to hit you the hardest. After you say, I'm going to stop watching pornography and I'm going to honor my wife, the enemy's going to hit you the hardest. After you say, I'm going to stop ditching school and I'm going to start doing my homework, the enemy's going to hit you the hardest. After some of the high moments, right, come some of the greatest attacks of the enemy. But not just that. The other thing that you need to notice is that sometimes we're not willing to admit that our life is chaotic, that our life is a whirlwind, because there's a couple of things going on that are working. And we tend to look at those things and say, well, you know, I know my marriage is falling apart, but at least I'm killing it at work. Well, I know that uh, my health isn't good, but at least I got a race. And we tend to hang a couple of good things as the excuse to not admit that everything else in our life isn't working. You know when we admit that we're exhausted? You know when we admit that things aren't going well? When it's too late. When the house burnt down, when the marriage fell apart, when you completely got caught, and you have no other option. So if you want to go from chaos to calm, the first thing we got to do is that we got to admit that we're exhausted. Yesterday, I took a picture with Avery, and the first thing Melody said, and I'm not burning Melody, but I'm just, sometimes people can see it in us. She said, look at the ojeras you got. I don't even know how you say ojeras in English. How do you say ojeras? What? Dark circles. I was like, yeah, I'm tired. I got three kids. <laughs> right? And just like Melody helped me figure out that I was tired, I want to help you figure out if you're tired. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to take a picture of you and look at your ojeras. For those of you that don't know Spanish, you learned a new word today, right? Um, how do you know if you're exhausted? Well, let me give you a couple of pointers. Number one, you ready? You can fill this out in your outline. An exhausted person, the first sign of an exhausted person is that they focus on their feelings. An exhausted person cannot see things objectively. They cannot see things factual. So they live based on what? Their feelings. They can't see the truth. They can't see things outside of their emotions. They can't see things as they are. Everything is filtered by their feelings. 
Hear me out. Hear me out. I've said this many times. Your feelings are not your enemies. God gave them to you. God, Jesus wept. Jesus got angry. Jesus had emotions because he was 100% human. Feelings are not your enemies, but you're ready for this. They're also not your best friend. They, uh, they don't always have your best outcome in mind. And one of the worst mistakes that you could do is to live by your feelings and say, well, if it feels right, then it must be right. Can I tell you something? There's a quote, especially young people, there's a quote that I hear often out there a lot. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Can I tell you what the Bible says? It says that the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, because at one time my heart told me that wearing this big old baggy pants was the cool thing to do. Sometimes my heart tells me that I'm a better driver than I am. And when you listen to your heart, when, and I hope you know what I'm saying, right? Don't, don't take me to extremes. When you live by your emotions, your life will be a roller coaster. And I'll tell you something, people won't want to be around you. It's hard to be around people that are guided, that are led by their emotions, right? Because you almost have, it's like, you got to be a bull in a china shop, right? You got to tippy toe to not hurt them. And when you're exhausted, it's almost like your brain turns off and you focus on your feelings. And you know why you focus on your feelings when you're exhausted? Because you got a lot of them. You're tired, stressed out, annoyed, confused, desperate. There's a lot of emotions when you're tired. That's what Elijah did. That's what got him in that nasty down spiral emotional disaster that he got into. In fact, let me, let me show you some of the feelings that Elijah gave into, okay? Number one, Elijah gave into fear. Elijah gave into fear. Look at what 1 Kings 19 verse 3, uh, the first part says. Elijah was afraid and what? Fled for his life. Hear me out, hear me out. Let, let, let's look at Elijah so we don't have to look at ourselves, all right? We're going to examine Elijah, Okay. If you were to read chapter 18, Elijah stands before a bunch of prophets of Baal and he mocks them, he ridicules them, he challenges them, and then he kills them. He sees the power of God. He asks God to send fire from heaven and God does. I mean, Elijah just sees, by the way, Elijah is a, is a significant person in the Bible. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Old Testament ends with Elijah. The Jewish people to today, many Jewish people who still practice the Jewish tradition, when they have the Passover, they, they leave an empty chair on their table. Because if you were to read the last uh, chapter of the Old Testament, it says that Elijah is going to come back and turn the hearts uh, uh, of the people towards God so that he won't destroy them. So I want you to know how important Elijah is. We see Elijah next to Moses when he appears to Jesus at the mountain in the transfiguration. Elijah is a significant person in the Bible. And the reason we're talking about him is because sometimes we think, well, godly people don't struggle with that. Or Christians shouldn't struggle with that. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, you do. So Elijah opens the door to fear. Why? 
because an evil woman told him, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to do to you what you did to the prophets. It was illogical. By the way, by the time Elijah ran, the promise that she had made had already passed. But he allowed fear to come into his life. Listen, you know what's one of the things that Jesus tells us over and over and over in his word? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The second feeling that Elijah gave into is that Elijah gave into inferiority. 1 Kings 19, verse 4, part B, look at what he says. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might what? Died. Why? Why did he pray that? Well, he felt bad for himself. He started thinking less of himself. He says, take my life for I am no better than what? My ancestors. Now, you, you, you need to know what this means. When Elijah's talking about his ancestors, He's talking about the people of Israel, about the children of Israel who had forsaken God, who had been taken out into captivity because they forgot about God. And he said, listen, listen, I know I just did something miraculous, but I'm no better than them. Why? Because he opened the door to the feeling of feeling less than himself. He started degrading himself. He started his, his self-esteem plummeted. The third feeling that Elijah gave into is that he gave in to the feeling of resentment. He gave in to the feeling of resentment. Verse 10 of that chapter says, Elijah replied, look at this. I have, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with what? With you. Look at this. Elijah was saying, he was saying, hey, I've done so much and everybody else doesn't do anything. Does it sound familiar, married couples? I've done this. I've done this. And you do nothing. I clean the house all day. You just come and get in the couch. Right? I fill up the gas and all you do is drive it. He gave in to the feeling of resentment. Where he forgot, where he allowed the way or what others were doing to impact why, what and why he was doing what he was doing. But he not only gave into the feeling of resentment, the fourth feeling that Elijah gave into was that he gave into anger. He gave into anger. He says in verse 10, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. Elijah got angry because other people were not doing God's will. And he allowed it once again, what other people were not doing to impact the way he felt and the way he went about doing what he was doing. Here's another big one. The fifth feeling that Elijah gave into is that Elijah gave into loneliness. Elijah gave in to loneliness. In verse 10, the last part of that verse 10, Elijah says, I am the only one left. I am the only one left. Now, if you study scripture, you know that that was not true because God tells them at the end, there's 700 prophets that have not bowed down to Baal. But listen, when you're exhausted, when you're stressed out, when you're burnt out, you feel like you're the only one going through what you're going. 
And you feel that no one can understand you, no one can, can sympathize with you, and nobody can walk with you. And that's not true. That is not true. There is nothing you have gone through that someone else has not gone through. In fact, that's one of the beauties of the church, that we are to be, a, to be there for one another because we go through things that others go through, and the grace that we receive from God, we are to share it with those that are going through what we went through. But Elijah gave, gave in to the feeling of loneliness, and that's why he, he left his servant in Damascus, and he went further and said, there's nobody like me. I'm the only one. I might as well die. Last but not least... The, last, the sixth feeling that Elijah gave in to was that he gave in to worry. He began to worry. In verse 10, once again, he says, and now they are trying to what? Kill me too. Who was trying to kill him? One woman, not the whole people. Yes, in the past they had killed prophets. But Jezebel was trying to kill him. It wasn't everybody trying to kill him. And he gave in to worry and he says, you know what? I'm going to die. That's why I have to hide. I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm lonely. I'm all these things. And he began to worry. And the thing about worry, as we said earlier last week, we said that when you worry, you can't worship. If you want to worship, then you can't worry. But if you worry, you can't worship. Now, here's the thing. Elijah was a great man of God. And this happened to Elijah. So if it happened to Elijah, it could happen to you and to me as well. In fact, look at what James says about Elijah in James 5, 17. It says, Elijah was as human as what? As we are. Here's what you need to know about the men and women of the Bible. The best men and women in the Bible were men and women at best. At the end of the day, we're all humans and it can happen to us. So an exhausted person, an exhausted person, you know you're exhausted when you focus on your feelings. Here's the second way you can know, the second, the second thing that an exhausted person does. An exhausted person compares themselves to others. An exhausted person compares themselves to others. They, they, they can't set goals. They can't focus on their goals. They can't go after them. So they begin to focus on others. Look at what verse 4 says. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am what? No better than what? My ancestors. Hey, can I tell you? Can I tell you that the comparison game is a dangerous game that you will never win? When you compare yourselves to others, you are doing something illogical. Here's why. God made every single one of us different. There is no other Steve. There is no other Anna. There is no other Sam. There is only one that God created like you. So when you compare yourself, it is illogical. And I'll tell you what's illogical about it. We never compare ourselves, especially when we're exhausted. We compare other people's strengths to our weaknesses. We compare other people's success to our failures. Let me tell you that the most successful, the most strong, the most mature person still has weaknesses. And we're really good at hiding them, right? 
where especially public people, you see them, and yes, they post that they traveled on a plane and to an exotic island, but what they don't tell you is that they got in a fight and they were nasty to people. Don't compare yourselves to other people. It is not fair, it is not illogical, and it is not right. God made you unique. God made you to be you. And when you begin to compare yourself, then you begin to speak negatively to yourself. And you say stuff like, I'm a failure. I'm no good. I can't be loved. I can't love others. Nobody can understand. Nobody understands me. Nobody wants to deal with me. Don't compare yourself. An exhausted person continuously is looking at the good things of others and comparing it with their weaknesses. When you're tempted to compare yourself, what do you do? Here's what you do. You remember what God says about you. You remember what God says about you. Because that's who you are. Number three, an exhausted person. Are you exhausted yet? Are you two for two? Here's another one. Don't say, if you can't say amen, say ouch on this one. Are you ready? An exhausted person blames themselves. An exhausted person blames themselves. Verse 10. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, and killed every one of your what? Prophets. Why does Elijah say, I have served you with great seal? Because here's what he's saying. Here's what he has in mind. He's saying, everything I've done is of no good. All the miracles, all the preaching, all the teaching, all that I've done is of no good. Because instead of leading people back to you, they're tearing down your altars and killing your prophets. He says, what good is my life? That's why he wanted to die. Because he felt that his life had accomplished nothing. And I think it's easy for us to feel that, especially if you're a parent, right? You look at your kids and you're like, man, maybe I wasn't a good mom. Maybe I wasn't a good dad. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I look at certain areas of our church and I'm like, maybe I'm not a good pastor. And when something's not working, it's, it's easy to say, well, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Hear me out. Hear me out, because this, this has set me free. We are not responsible for what other people do. Can we say that? I am not responsible for what you do. I can teach you, I can preach, and I can tell you God's way, but I'm not responsible for you doing God's way. I can tell you about God, but I am not responsible for you following God. But when we're exhausted, we can't think logically. We can't think with our mind. So we go based on our feelings and we blame ourselves. Well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe all that I've done is of no good. Maybe all these years of marriage were pointless. No. Do what you do. The Bible says this, that our work in the Lord is never in vain. Never. And, and, and yes, we want to see fruits. We want to see an outcome here on earth. But the number one reason we do it is for his glory and because we want to obey him. 
But when you're exhausted, you blame yourself. And you'll hide and you'll feel sorry for yourself and you'll pity yourself. Why? Because you're running on fumes. You're running on empty. You're not responsible for what others do. Elijah was not, uh, was not responsible for the way others responded. You know what I love about the story of the prophet Jonah? That God told them, go and preach to them that they need to repent. But God never told Jonah, if they don't repent, it's your fault. All he had to do was go obey. And the same is true of you and me. We got to obey. Love your kids, raise them. And ultimately, they're going to make their own choice. And I have seen this. Good parents sometimes get bad children. But the opposite is true also. I've seen bad parents get good children. Right? Life isn't a formula that always works out. Fourth thing that an exhausted person does. And we'll finish with this. Are you three for three or one for three or zero for three? here's another one an exhausted person magnifies the negative an exhausted person is a pessimistic an exhausted person is always looking at the cup half full half empty the last part of verse 10 what does Elijah say he says I am the only one left and now they are what trying to kill me when you're tired, you see the negative and you magnify the negative, right? You think the worst is going to happen. You think everybody's after you. You, you, you just, you're expecting the worst possible. You know why? Simple, because you're tired. Because you're not, you're not living a sustainable life. So here it is before you check out. Next week, we're going to talk about applying the remedy for exhaustion. We're going to look at what's the answer to remedy. How, how, how do we go from this chaos to, to calm? But the first thing, and the one thing that I want you to just kind of wrestle with this week is that to go from chaos to calm, you got to admit that you're in a chaos, that you're exhausted. And I've given you four, four things that you could look at and examine in your life and say, do I need to do something? Am I overcommitted? Am I overstretching myself? Some of you, you, you work more than you should. And you say, well, I have to work because I got a lot of bills. Well, cut a couple of credit cards, stop spending, and you won't have to work as much. Yeah, well, we got to. We got to breathe. We got to learn to breathe. We got to learn to live a sustainable pace of life. Now, I'll end with this, and I'm done, I'm done. If you are in a whirlwind, if you are in a chaotic routine of life, here's what I want you to know. God is still with you, and God still cares about you. Elijah proves that to us. God was not just with Elijah when he was standing up for God. God was with Elijah when he was miserable and asking that his life would end. God did not just answer Elijah when Elijah prayed that fire would be sent down from heaven to prove that he was the real God. God was also caring for Elijah when he knew what he needed was food and he couldn't provide it for himself. So 
if you are in a chaotic or just in a fast-paced lifestyle, you need to know that God is with you. And God will teach you to slow down, but God still cares about you. God still hears you. God weeps over you. And God loves you. And I think it's that action that should draw us to him and say, yeah, yeah, it's just it's difficult to admit it. Maybe I'm too prideful. Maybe I'm too close-minded, but his love, his grace, his interaction should invite us to slow down and say, Lord, you're in the wind. You're in that whisper. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.